This episode, you get to meet Craig Manson, retired Air Force colonel, uh, also known as Your Honor. He's a judge from the state of California, served in the uh, in the military as a missileer, as well as a uh, judge advocate. He founded the Air Space and Law Program at the Air Force Academy. He's got uh, a few honors and awards to his credit. He does have a very interesting story about running into uh, a famous football player as a dually. Um, he also survived academic probation. I just keep keep it all humble here, but he made that uh, bounce back from that to get onto wing staff by our first year. I think. Uh, oh, and Craig was an Army brat who uh, spent a lot of time in New Mexico on on growing up. I think you're really going to like this. He was also let's see the the other the other really cool thing is he was at the dedication of a Minuteman uh, uh, silo in when he was part of the Department of the Interior. I think it is. Anyway. Uh, you guys will like Craig Manson. Hey, Craig. Hey, John. Looks How like, you doing? <laughs> looks like I did it right, huh? No. Oh, yeah. It. it, it everybody has fun with this. <laughs> yeah. So, well, thanks a lot for doing this, being part of this uh, series. Um, I always like to uh, start off by asking what that message you have for the incoming class, the uh, current cadets, the recent grads, and then the old folks like us? Well, I think I would say to everybody that uh, the Academy is a very worthwhile experience um, because it it's prepared me for everything that I've done in my life. And as you know, I can't really hold a job more than three years. <laughs> so, so I've done a lot of things, very different things. And I can always find something in my academy experience that helps me out. The other thing that I've learned is that that no matter how smart you are or you think you are, there's probably 25 or maybe 100 people smarter than you are in any given organization that you might be in. And those, those are two things that I, that I think apply to everybody whether you're a new cadet or you, you're you're getting ready to transition into a new career or whatever. Well, Craig, you're you're one of the really smart guys because I thought there was always thousands more smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I'd say I guess I'd say the other thing that I would impart to people is that I'm not one of the really smart guys. <laughs> I just think I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, your record show indicates otherwise. We'll, we'll just leave it at that. Well, so so that's interesting. So I'm I'm curious now. Where where did you grow up? What got you to the Air Force in the first place? Well, my dad was a career Army officer, and so we lived several different places. But the one place that we stayed the longest and had a lot to do with me going to the academy was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. My dad was at the uh, what I like to call the ultimate gated community, a semi-secret nuclear arms base called Sandia Base, huh. which is now part of Kirtland Air Force Base in Albuquerque. And um, we were there for nine years, which, of course, is really unusual. But uh, um, my dad had one tour there. Then he went to Korea, and we stayed stayed there. Then he came back for a second tour there. And then he went to Vietnam, and we stayed there while he was in Vietnam. Wow. So, so we stayed there an, an extraordinarily long period of time. And I, I've always considered Albuquerque one of my hometowns. Yeah. Because I, I enjoyed it so much. And one thing that I enjoyed was um, I wanted to be an astronaut as a kid, and the astronauts took their physical exams at Lovelace Clinic, which was just down the road from Sandia Base, and uh, so I was quite excited about that. And then uh, the New Mexico Air National Guard uh, went to Vietnam in 1968 at Christmas time, and the town had a big parade for them and everything, and there's lots of patriotism surrounded, surrounding that. 
They flew F-100s, a very old fighter. By, in fact, I don't think there are any more anywhere in the world that still fly. And But I thought that was very cool, the F-100. And uh, seeing all the spirit around, rallying around the guys going to Vietnam, uh, I thought that was pretty neat. And so that's what motivated me to be in the Air Force and, and uh, be, uh, be a cadet at the Air Force Academy. So was your dad okay with you switching services on him? <laughs> well, he was. But, uh, in fact, he, he didn't want any of us. To, I have two brothers and a sister. He didn't want any of us going into the military, really, yeah. because he thought it was too dangerous and so forth, you know. He was protecting his kids, he felt. But my two brothers both went into the Army and were career Army officers. So the fact that they were in the Army, that made up for any misdeeds I'd committed <laughs> by going into the Air Force. Putting on a blue suit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so okay, so that did they go the traditional route? Did they go to West Point, or what was the deal there? No, they, they both went on ROTC scholarships. Okay, so so you obviously had a different freshman year than they had. Yeah, I did. <laughs> As you know. Yep, and that, and those dogs barking that kind of indicate the cannon going off, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, our our freshman year for me was actually it was it was pretty motivational, I think. Yeah. Um, although I was. Uh, uh, I felt I was pretty competitive with everybody else, and I decided to major in physics. Wow! And at, well, don't don't say wow till you hear the rest of the story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I uh, about uh, the time of the midterms in our freshman year in the fall. Yeah, I'd gone to see a guy in the math department about something completely unrelated. And he was, I think he was our associate AOC or something or other like that. And so we talked about whatever business we had. And then he said, oh, by the way, how are you doing in math? And I said, well, I've got a C at, at prog midterm progress report. And he harumphed and said, well, I guess that means you're not going to be any type of science major at this school. <laughs> And I was totally, I mean, that was the most demoralizing thing I ever heard, you know, and, and, cause I figured I had to see, I could bring it up, you know, yeah. and, uh, but totally demoralizing. And I decided to change my major to political science. And wow. I remember I called my mom and I told her and she said, political science what kind of major is that? What are you going to do? How would you ever get a job outside the Air Force? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, Mom, there are people who have this kind of background all over the world. And she said, yeah, I know, but it's not solid like something in physics or something. <laughs> so, so Mom's still pushing you towards the science thing. Yeah, right? yeah. So where, what, the, it, It's what got was... science in the title political science, but science in the title. <laughs> we'll let them have some fun there for a minute. <laughs> so where, which, uh, what Dooley squadron were you in? I was in 22 as a Dooley, which was, uh, it was a decent squadron to be in. I was on the debate team and there's a guy in 74 who was also, uh, on the debate team in 22nd Squadron. And so it was good because he could explain to the upperclassmen, especially 75, about why I was gone so much because we traveled all over, you know. So, and uh, Did you get on jock ranch? That just... Uh, no, we didn't, we didn't have those for, yeah. for uh, debate team. That, what kind of debate did you get into when they were asking knowledge questions? <laughs> well, I guess I was smart in the sense that I 
I played the game. <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't I didn't uh, get into any real hassles with them. The only thing that happened in my Dooley year that um, that got me in some trouble was failing to greet a first classman whose name was Ordaria Mitchell. You may remember O Mitchell was Oh yeah, big football, football player. Yeah. And he was a huge guy. And the first couple of weeks of academics, we did not see him around the squadron. You know, people would talk about him, but I didn't, I didn't <laughs> know who he was, really. One afternoon, one early evening, he came down the hall. He was wearing a, a, a pair of overalls, and he was barefoot. And I... I honestly thought he was the janitor. (laughs) I didn't say anything to him. And, and sure enough, Hey, you man, come here, drive, drive over here. (laughs) The janitor's yelling at me. (laughs) He said, he's a big janitor though. I better listen. (laughs) (laughs) He said, do you know who I am? No, sir. I don't. And he says, well, you go around, you see your element, Sergeant, and you tell him that you failed to greet Cadet First Class Mitchell. Oh, man. And that's where I thought, oh, I'm dead now. <laughs> so I went around to see uh, who is a real, real hard guy. Yeah. And uh, he said, um, why are you here? And I said, um, Cadet First Class Mitchell told me to come see you and tell you that I failed to greet him in the hallway. And he just went nuts. He said, what? You you didn't greet O. Mitchell? Oh, man. <laughs> and he was just, he, he said, this is bad. This is really bad. He said, he said, why didn't you greet him? And so I went, don't excuse, sir. Yeah, oh yeah. And then he but... said, well, give me the real reason. And I said, Sir, I thought he was the janitor. <laughs> <laughs> the elephant sergeant said, this is worse than I imagined. <laughs> he went down the hall and got the guy who was our element sergeant and and told him the story. And it quickly went up the chain of command to the squadron commander. And they were all in a tizzy over this. They were just, they were just freaked out. They were sh- sure they were going to have some kind of incident or be written up in the paper. Yeah. Or something, you know. So anyway, it 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 was a controversy for a couple of days and then it died down, you know. Yeah, just and, for, for those that may not know, Odero Mitchell was a famous uh Air Force Academy lineman <laughs> on the football team. <laughs> like an all American lineman on the football team. Right. <laughs> he later went to med school. Oh yeah. And he, he's a surgeon, orthopedic surgeon in Colorado Springs now. Wow. So and I I I've since met him and he's heard he's heard the story again. <laughs> and and all is well between me and old Mitchell now. Yeah, that's well that's good. Yeah, time time and, and age and, and graduation really helps a lot of that stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So so then the uh, upper class years where'd you end up? I was in twenty six squadron. So in you, the new dorm. I was going to say you went up four four numbers, but across the across the terrazzo, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I'll tell you my my dually year was pretty decent, <laughs> but the worst time I had at the academy was third class year, sophomore year. Really? Yeah. The academics were tougher that's where i found out there were maybe a thousand guys smarter than me (laughs) (laughs) it was it was i actually got for the first time in my life i got an f in a class i failed mech mechanical engineering and i i couldn't comprehend why well part of it was the travel on weekends um for debate and of course that ended when i went on act pro Mm. So it, uh, but it was just a really, really tough year. I, I, I thought I was going to be booted out for sure because of academics. And there was a guy from from my high school 
who was one of our classmates who did get booted for academics. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I was just, I was thinking, gosh, I, you know, it's terrible. So lots of stress in the third class year. Did you have a board, an academic board? I did. I, I, I appeared before an academic board and they retained me, but. Okay. So you, you're the only other guy I've talked to now that has survived one of those. Cause I survived my <laughs> academic board that year too. Yeah. Wow. That's good. Yeah. I didn't like that board. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was no fun. Um, so, uh, but then I, you must have climbed out somehow. Yeah, it was my major. It was a poli sci, you know, I'm getting all A's in poli sci and, you know, C's and D's and in chemistry and physics and <laughs> engineering and aero and astro. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was just <laughs> really <laughs> tough. I, I was getting D's in poli sci. I was really in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> we should have hooked up. <laughs> yeah, we should have. So, um, I'm just curious. I, I assume you had some summer programs that were uh, that that were memorable. <laughs> I know the yeah. after the first time we had the Siri summer, right? Yeah, in the Siri, I had uh, that was that was fun, of course. <laughs> I used yeah. to, you know, people would ask me about what that was like, and I told them, I would tell them about the survival part. I would tell them about uh, the survival part, and I would say, because I really believed this, the first day I believed I was going to die, the first day of the <laughs> trek. <laughs> the second day, I was afraid I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, so the first. You said the first day you thought you were going to die. The second day you're afraid you weren't going to die. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And I had a good travel group: Bob Mansfield and Rick Manti. And Rick Manti was a funny guy. Kept us in stitches the whole time on the trek. And that was that was a real experience. That was the first time that I realized that you know you really could die out there if you didn't do what you were supposed to do if you didn't um, use your training and your head and uh, to get through some of those things. Yeah, it was pretty, that was pretty intense stuff. It was very did you, intense. Did you have any f fun summer things? Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the next summer, our second class summer, I did two things that were fun. One, I did Siri as, as, as one of the, the uh, what they call them, the partisans, I guess. <laughs> okay. And, and I was in resistance squadron. And, of course, I saw all the three, the new C three degrees who had been Dooley's in 26 squadron and beat up on them psychologically, at least. And uh, um, then I went to third lieutenant at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Okay, and that was interesting because you know there's there's a million generals at Wright Pat, <laughs> and at that time, Air Force Logistics Command was also headquartered at Wright Pat, and Jack Catton's dad was the commander of Air Force Logistics Command, a four star, yeah. and so I that then they also had this all the generals had gotten together. And decided they were going to have a debutante's ball for their daughters. <laughs> and we had been told but to bring our best dress uniforms with us to third lieutenant. Okay. And so we did. It was me and a guy named Will Strell. And uh, we did. And we spent the whole summer going to different places, doing different things with these girls who were going to be debutantes. And it culminated at the end of the summer in the debutante's ball. And that was, man, that was fantastic. I got to tell you, it was huh. a lot of fun. Yeah. In Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> I went to a couple of those in D.C. because that's where I'd come, come out of high school, but nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I thought they only did that in the 
the DC, you know, East Coast, heavy duty East Coast area? Well, they, they did it at Wright Pat because there's so many general officers at Wright Pat. Yeah. And they, uh, that's that's what they wanted to do. So and, and I gotta I gotta re- correct this for the Pink Panthers listening. And yes, we also had our special debutante thing every Thanksgiving in California. That was that was a that's not the kind of debutante ball that I'm talking about uh, in DC. DC it was all we didn't know these people. It was it was a one night event. The yeah uh, the California thing was four days. That was that was a massive party. That was that was yeah. <laughs> definitely a different deal. Um. Well, cool. So, so I'm just curious, Craig. Now, did you debate all four years? I debated three years. Did not do my senior year because I had too much going on. Otherwise, I had, I had, uh, I was on wing staff during the fall. I was, I was at KAFA FM uh, the whole year. Wow. And then I was on the cadre that trained the ATOs for the women cadets who were coming in. Oh my. So you yeah. were on the you were a trainer of the trainers. Trainer of the trainers, that's that's right. Okay. Jim Martin was a squadron commander of the of the cadre and uh, um and then in the spring I was the squadron training officer and the training officer has responsible for getting the 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 squadron ready for June week activities and things like that and marching and so forth. So being on wing staff, I'm I'm just curious. I keep asking you're you're one of the rare guys I've talked to that were on wing staff. Who came up with the idea of giving us a red, white, and blue arm patch on our A jackets? I I don't know whose idea that was. Okay. They they had made that decision before we were seniors, and so I I don't know. Okay, because I, I, I I'm still trying to figure out how that germinated. Because that, so that was a pretty cool deal. Yeah, and then um, on wing staff when they did that. So I don't know. And then did you uh, what did you do to blow off steam? KAFA would have been part of it, and all yeah. the other activities would have been part. Did you ever have any other antics like spirit pranks? Well, when when I was a dually, we we did lots of spirit pranks. We we had this great idea one time that we were going to hang a giant sign on the side of the chapel. So we got every dually in the squadron to contribute a uh, a sheet so we could make this giant sign. I don't know how we sewed all these sheets together. I just don't remember. <laughs> but we tied string to the to the ends of it. And the idea was we were going to sh- take these strings and tie them to arrows and shoot the arrows <laughs> between the spires. <laughs> and guys oh would be on the other side and they would pull it down. And that's how we would raise the sign. <laughs> so we're out there like at one in the morning shooting shoot. these arrows aside of the chapel. And, and that, now they got to fix a leaky chapel for some reason. <laughs> well, the, the it didn't work. <laughs> well, so you, you could hear the arrows pinging off the side of the chapel. You know, they go pew. You well, know? I, I like the idea of a bunch of cadets on the other side waiting to catch arrows. Why did you get that injury, sir? Thanks for pulling sheets. There's a beat navy on it or something. <laughs> so, so uh, the 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 security police came out after a while and and we all started running and we ran off and got away from them but that's great that's that's great that's pretty funny that, <laughs> i can totally see that i and that's the kind of cockamamie idea i would have come up with too if i yeah. thought that <laughs> but the yeah. arrow thing oh that cracks for you <laughs> yeah, it was nutty so so you made it to graduation yeah mm-hmm. And then Maybe it was graduation. Off, to, off to missiles? Yeah, went to training at Vandenberg Air Force Base in Southern California and uh, got stationed at Ellsworth Air Force Base in South Dakota as my permanent station. Now, that's and, not as uh, isolated as so many other missile bases. That must have been a pretty good one, right? Yeah, that's what that's what all the guys at Minot used to say. <laughs> they would say, 
Oh, you guys are in the banana belt for sure. <laughs> your your Rapid City's a little, little less uh, isolated than the. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, but I still thought of it as a Conus remote because oh, it yeah, was, you know, Rapid City was about thirty thousand people at that time, and it was eight hours to Denver, you know. Yeah. So it, I thought it was pretty tough. And then. But, do you um as i if i've done my research properly you actually and we're going to skip ahead a little bit but you got to des- dedicate a a a minuteman monument there yeah that uh, that came uh, many 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 years later several decades later uh, when i was assistant secretary of the interior department and i was in charge of the National Park Service. I was the boss of the boss of the National Park Service. And uh, the National, when in 94, the uh, missile wing at Ellsworth was deactivated and uh, they they had decided that what they were going to do is they were going to put a missile and a launch facility on static display there. Mm. So by 2002, they had figured out how to do that and everything, and they they did it. And then they found out, sir, you know, just serendipitously that I had actually pulled alerts at at <laughs> what was called uh, Delta One, and uh, uh, so they said, "Well, this would be great. Why don't you go out there and and you can dedicate the monument and." Uh, so I did. It, it It was fun. Yeah. And, and I remember reading an interview where you talked about uh, the personality types that were Minutemen uh, missile operators. Yeah. I, uh, you know, people, people always had this impression, at least this was, you know, some of the Vietnam stuff lingered and people were thinking that, you know, these, if you could launch a nuclear missile, and kill people, you must be some sort of cold-blooded killer or something. Yeah. And that just is not the case, you know. I I always thought of the the missile guys as really embodying some of the best of America. You know, they they were ordinary folks with ordinary values, you know, and they they really seriously were in that job because. They believed that there was some threat to to the nation potentially, so that's that's my take on it. It's always been my take on it. Yeah, common sense and wisdom was were out there. It wasn't just pure <laughs> following right. orders and blindly doing bad stuff. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so I also noticed that you uh, you got to escape Ellsworth and go to Montgomery. Is that right? <laughs> no, I went from Ellsworth to. Uh, California. Oh, I thought you went to SOS. I guess I mis, mis misinterpreted that. No, I I I did SOS um, by correspondence. Ah, the best way to do it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, I left to go to law school as I got selected for the Air Force funded legal education program in 1978, which was um somewhat competitive there were lots of uh, lots of our classmates who got picked the air force could pick 25 officers a year to go to law school mm. actually all the services could pick 25 a year to go to law school and uh, see uh, mike cunningham uh went uh, um brian eccles who had been my roommate in 26 squadron <laughs> And uh, several others went, and and I went. My motivation for going to law school, I didn't know any lawyers, didn't had didn't have any relatives who were lawyers. I just wanted to get the heck out of South Dakota. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was it was too doggone cold for me. And you went you went down to was it uh, Southern Cal? No, I came to Sacramento where yeah. I am now. Yeah. And went to Big George School of Law, University of the Pacific. Yeah. And where it was nice and warm and 
and which was my main criteria for going to law school. It had to be someplace warm. And then you got your you got your full blown jurist uh, doctor, yeah. yeah. And you became a, a legal guy for the Air Force. What was that like? That was great. I I had great assignments. I I went uh, first to Davis Monthan in Tucson, which again because it was warm, <laughs> and, <laughs> close to Albuquerque too, right? Or closer to Albuquerque? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and. Uh, that was a great assignment. I was started off as the chief of what they call preventive law and legal assistance, which is doing just uh, wills and things like that for for service members. Um, and uh, I uh, then transitioned to the chief of military justice, which is the chief prosecutor on the base. Okay, and and did that for about a year and a half that was fun i tried lots of court martial trials and and uh, had lots of experiences doing that so i have to, i have to ask because I, I was a legal officer in the navy which is not uh, not a full-blown attorney it's it's the non-judicial guy did you have any unusual cases that you want to share any unusual cases well I guess, you know, they're they're all unusual. I mean, I tried a a, a there's domestic violence case. Um, there were lots of drug cases. Uh, there were there were possession of weapons cases and all sorts of things like that. That there were three officers, three officers who were lieutenants. And they were in the missile wing at Davis Month and Titan Missile Wing. And we prosecuted all three of them for uh, possession of drugs. And they were running a little drug ring at the uh, missile wing. Oh, wow. Then there was the master sergeant who turned his maintenance squadron into a, a uh, branch of Amway Corporation. Oh, goodness. He was offered non-judicial punishment, and he turned it down, so the commander said, fine, we're going to go to a court-martial. And he turned around and sued us in federal court over that, and which was fun for me because I got to go downtown and sit with the U.S. attorney in federal court, and we won that case. And, you know, he argued you, you know, that he was just pursuing his, his liberty to, to <laughs> be an entrepreneur, you know, which is which is fine as long as you're not doing it on the job and coercing your subordinates yeah. to 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 buy from you, you know. Oh yeah, that that, that so. can be that can be a little gray area that you got to be real sharp on if you're gonna yeah. do it. That's right. Yeah, I I I just asked because I I had my two weirdest cases that I dealt with. One was a have the. Uh, we had a guy jump off the flight off the hangar deck of, in the middle of the Indian Ocean because he was tired of being at sea, and I had to write him up for something called hazarding a task force. Jeez, there's actually a, a UCMJ article for hazarding the task force. I thought that was entertaining. Yeah, that is. No, I never <laughs> saw anything like that. And then we we had uh, we had a guy that uh, he had a in his childhood he had a. Uh, uh, a mental thing going on and he didn't nobody knew about it until he was in our in one of our yeoman spaces which is where they do the admin work mm -hmm. not heavy heavy deal just a bunch of typing and paperwork and he had this uncontrollable bladder problem where he kept pooping in his pants oh geez and we're in a tight space on a ship and there's nowhere circulation this guy smells like poop and he said it's coming up his shirt all the time and He's a good guy, but he just couldn't keep himself clean and it turned out in his psyche valve they they realized that he had been uh, locked in a closet when he was a little kid, and and uh, oh. and all and all his stress came out when he was on the ship. Instead oh, of God. instead of throwing him out for for uh, uh, well, we were able to get him other than honorable discharge. He, he got discharged, but it wasn't a, uh, a dishonorable. So that was that yeah. was you know basically we we it's not the right place for you go go somewhere else kind of thing. Right, right. Those are my weirdest uh, cases. Like I mean, the typical drug and beating up people and all that stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. All non-judicial. None of that. Mm -hmm. Article thirty-two and all that. All that. Yeah. 
courtroom stuff that now so you've got a great taste apparently of uh, both civilian and military law yeah that's uh you know one of the advantages of, of of being a judge advocate was that that you get a lot of experience and a lot of things quickly you know whereas in civilian law firms they don't let you near the courtroom for <laughs> your first five years yeah. well but then you got to go learn about english law yeah, I went to to uh, <laughs> Milden Hall in England, and I was the the deputy staff judge advocate there for about six months. And then the Air Force likes to to um, rotate people around into defense counsel positions. Ooh. So I went to a defense counsel position for nineteen months. And that was man, that was as much stress as I could stand. But and was that all uh, within the military? Did you also have to go into town to help defend these guys? That was all in the military. Okay. Uh, although you sometimes would you get people who committed crimes off the base, right? And then you, what 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 we did in the Air Force, then was they monitored their trial off the base to make sure they got a fair trial and and we were liaisons with the British authorities so that so that uh, um, the the Brits knew everything that was going to happen to the guy if he was convicted what what we would do to him and so forth so yeah we had similar situations although we were going into foreign ports so it really depended on which port you went into what what trouble yeah. they could get into, and oh my goodness, <laughs> there was all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah, I bet. Um, so then, as I'm, if I'm reading this right, you went back and you went back to the academy. I went back to the academy, right, and taught law there for four years. That was that was a great assignment. I got you. You set up some really cool new program, the Air and Space Law program, and you got a medal for it. I did. That's really you know, it, it was the oh you're PCSing here have a medal kind of thing. <laughs> well that no man you you did all that work you set up a really neat new program for them that that's really that's really cool that that was a lot of fun too the 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 whole time at the academy was great fun and I went on two great TDYs when I was at the academy I went the first year I was there I I went back to Europe I went to um, uh, Ramstein and U.S. Air Forces in Europe headquarters to assess the uh, compliance with local nation environmental law by U.S. forces, and that was that was a great great experience. Then the second great TDY. That that first TUI was on behalf of the Secretary of the Air Force. And the funny thing that happened there was I was with a bunch of other academy grads and academy faculty. In fact, two of our classmates, uh, Jeff Larson and Kurt Klingenberger, were, they were both poli-sci guys, and they were on that trip, and they had the same same portfolio, you know, we had to see how we were doing, complying with host nation environmental law. And we wrote up a report, the whole team did, and we brought the report back with us and we put the, you know, we sent it to the Secretary of the Air Force and everything. And we even t taught it in some of the poli-sci classes, you know, and then one day these these two civilian guys show up and they say, you know, your report's been classified. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we need all the copies of it. Oh, man. So I, you know, we went through our drawers and everything and got them all the copies, but that was really disappointing because we couldn't teach about it anymore. Wow. That, but that was pretty cool. He did a, did a really special report. Right. So then, I guess so. The the, the academy deal kind of expired your uh, desire to be on active duty. Is that is that how I? No, 
No, what happened was uh, um, I had I had a second TVY the the the, the next summer. It was back at uh, the Pentagon, and we worked for this Bob Gardner, one of our classmates. He and I worked with this three worked for a three star at the uh, SDIO, which was President Reagan's. Um, um, missile defense program okay and uh, we did that and we supervised a group of cadets from all the academies who were there on summer research and that you know i really thought about you know i was almost at the end of my commitment for law school but i was really thinking about staying but i was i also got to thinking Maybe I should just see what I'm worth on the market. So I went out and I did some interviews and everything and really interesting jobs and got really interesting offers. And I felt like I had to take, take one of those offers. So I did and ended back here in Sacramento. As just Joe attorney with five years before you see the uh, courtroom again, right? No, because what they did was they 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 gave me credit for all my Air Force time. Good. I'm and, glad I'm glad they wised up. <laughs> yeah. And plus there was a guy in the firm who had been a commander in the Navy. Okay. And he uh he kinda looked out for me. So Well that's cool. And then yeah. and you stayed in the Air Force Reserve though. I stayed in the Air Force Reserve. I was stationed in the reserves at Beale Air Force Base, which is about 45 miles north of Sacramento, and uh, was the acting chief of military justice there. Wow. And one of the guys who'd been on the faculty with me at the academy was the boss of the legal office up there, and that was fun, working with him again. And so... Uh, um, that's well, now you say you every couple of years you got to change jobs, and I see that you jumped into the fishing game world. <laughs> yeah, the uh, um, I'd been to a party one night for a friend of mine who who I'd gone to law school with, and her husband said, you know. I mean, I hadn't seen him in in a decade, probably. But he said, you know, there's a new governor coming on, and I'm going to give him your name as somebody he ought to talk to. So apparently he did, because 11 months later, the governor's secretary called me and said, hey, we'd like you to go around and interview at all these departments and see what's the fit for you. And I thought, heck, that sounds like fun. So I did. And uh, they called me one day and they said, um, how would you like to be the chief counsel at the Department of Fish and Game? And I said, no, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> because it, it didn't sound that exciting to me. And uh, they didn't have a general counsel. It was a new position they just created. And then... I said, no, thank you. And about a month later, the phone rang, and it was the governor's office. And uh, the woman said, I need to know your date of birth. <laughs> and I said, why do you need to know that? And they said, well, we've got to put it in the press release. I said, yeah, <laughs> press release. And she said, hadn't you heard? The governor just appointed you to be the chief counsel <laughs> of the Department of Fish and Game. I said, no, I hadn't heard. Nobody told me. <laughs> and I said, I, I, I can't do, do that. I've got clients and everything. And she said, well, they're planning a swearing-in ceremony for 1 o'clock today. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I said, this is crazy. But uh, um, eventually I talked to them some more about it and they extended the the dead the date of my swearing in till till March so I could clean up my law firm business and uh, um actually it was 
January that I actually finished up at the law firm and went over there. And that turned out to be a terrific job, too. Just like going back to Siri, right? Well, well no. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've been afraid of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's but, Craig out there in, in the camis looking for bad guys, you know. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> turned out to be a great job. You know, the Department of Fish and Game was really one of the premier environmental agencies in California. Okay. So, um, and I thought it was going to be just handing out fishing licenses and turned out to be a million times more complex than that. Yeah. And then you became a judge. Yeah. At the end of five years at the Department of Fish and Game, um, almost the same thing happened to me except it was more positive got a call from the governor's office and the woman said the governor's judicial secretary wants to see you and so i said sure so i went over there to see him and we had a just wouldn't like an interview it was more like just a chat and that was on a thursday and then on monday morning he called to tell me that the judge was appointing me to be a judge. Wow. That the governor was going to appoint me to be a judge. And I, that's what I said. Wow. You know, so, so I spent four years as a judge. And that was another terrific job. I mean, although I changed jobs frequently, I've never had a job that I didn't like. Well, you, it so, sounds like you're, you're getting to do really cool, interesting things at the right time, too. Yeah. 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 No, I, not <laughs> changing jobs a lot is it can be good if it's all in the upward trajectory. No, that's good. Because the next job was really impressive. You had, but you had to go to the other coast, right? Right. They became assistant secretary of the interior for fish, wildlife, and parks, and that coincided uh, with this Parkinson's that I have. Because I, um, on the as a judge, I was having trouble taking notes. I noticed, you know, and that's because my handwriting was getting very shaky, and I couldn't figure it out. I went to maybe five different specialists to find out what was wrong, and finally, the last one told me that it was Parkinson's disease, and. I got that news on the same day that the Senate confirmed me to be Assistant mm -hmm. Secretary of the Interior. And I came home and I told my wife, well, I've been struck by lightning twice today. Wow. And I told her the diagnosis was Parkinson's. And oh, by the way, it just got confirmed as Assistant Secretary. And so we got to start packing up to move to Washington. And did she hated it by the way that's the only the only bad part about that that job was that my wife hated it did you guys live where were you did you live in the district or out in the no we lived in mclean okay and yeah uh, that's a little bit of a drive <laughs> you know it wasn't so bad i found that if i left by seven o'clock i could make it in down the George Washington Parkway and across the Roosevelt Bridge by by seven fifteen, but for every minute after seven that I left, you know it got longer and longer and longer. Did you um, run into any of our classmates in those official functions or any other? Occasion? I did. As a matter of fact, um, this was funny. We had a. An issue, and I don't remember what the issue was, but but it involved the Air Force, and and something that the Air Force wanted to do, but it was going to kill an endangered species or something like that, and so they had to have our permission to, to do it, and and we would grant the permission, but they had to follow a long list of conditions, and uh, so. My boss, the secretary, Gail Norton at the time, said, why don't you go over and talk to the Air Force about this? <laughs> and I said, okay. Oh, so goodness. 
So I went over there, and the guy that they wanted me to talk to was one Major General Michael Gould. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, oh, okay. So we had a nice chat, and we came to a resolution of the issue. Yeah. And uh, we did a lot of that, actually, several times. We had issues with the Air Force uh, or DOD, and uh, I I got to meet uh, uh, one guy that I met was H.T. Uh, Johnson, 59 grad, oh, wow. four-star general, retired at the time, and he was assistant secretary of the Navy, and uh, um, he he and I went out to to Midway, as a matter of fact, together. And, to the island? Yeah, out to okay. the island together. Right. And we had a great time out there. <laughs> Not much to do. <laughs> Not, well, we we walked around. We looked at all the, the birds, yeah, <laughs> of right. which there were literally a million birds. Lots of birds, yeah. And, uh, um, one of the things was that the the... Fish and Wildlife Service, which I was the boss of the boss of the Fish and Wildlife Service, they wanted nobody on the island, basically. They wanted it made into a wildlife refuge. The Navy wanted to make sure that the heritage of the place was preserved. And see, that was one place where, where being an academy grad and the importance of military heritage served me well. I understood that. You know, but I'd also had this background in environmental law, so I understood the need to protect the birds out there and everything. Oh, yeah. And, uh, General Johnson and I reached an agreement and we and we uh, uh, we were able to do both. And then you uh, after the. Uh, the Department of Interior job, you went back to school. Right. I went back to my old law alma mater and uh, became a law professor for four years. And uh, that that was it's hard. People say, what did you like best doing best? And it's hard to say, you know, but uh, that was an awfully fun job. And it 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 really, really enhanced my understanding of of the law and everything. They say when you teach something, you learn it yourself. And I did definitely learn a lot just teaching. Yeah. Well, you have to really know your stuff because the students are going to quiz you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, yeah. That, that's true. And that leads back to another issue that, that I said at the beginning. It, you know, there are, even in a class where you're the professor and they're the student, you'll still find 25 people who are smarter than you are. <laughs> or at least think they are, right? <laughs> or, yeah, or at least think they are. But the problem is that some of them really are. <laughs> so. And I guess Pacific was happy to have you back because you were one of their alumni of the year. Yeah, that, uh, that, that was a lot of fun, too. And... Uh, the the funny thing was was that the dean of the law school at the time uh, was a woman who had been the general counsel of the CIA mm. and the general counsel of the uh, NSA, wow. and Mike Cunningham had worked for her when he was still on active duty, uh, and she was a civilian, of course, but. Uh, um, Mike had worked for her as, as her deputy, uh, one of her deputies. That's cool. Yeah. And then uh, I guess a few years of being a professor, you decided just to go become a, uh, a general counsel. For well, the... I would have stayed being a professor, except that. <laughs> <Another happy. people. laughs> well, what happened was the the financial crisis of. Oh yeah. Hit. And the uh, law school's endowment was being drawn down at rapid pace as they tried to 
manage things. And so I was one that essentially got laid off because I did not have tenure. Yeah. So. Yeah. Ten, ten years. Yep. But but you landed on your feet as a the Westlands water district guy. Right. That's uh, that. That was interesting. It's the largest agricultural water district in the country. And that that whole thing is intensely political because um, Westlands is is made up is a group. It's made up of farmers and they want water, obviously, for agriculture. Yeah. And they're always at odds with the environmentalists who want water for fish. And again, I could I could see both sides of, of those issues and intensely, intensely political. So that that brings me to kind of a generic uh, question for you being a attorney and a judge and, and a uh, counsel. What when you run into a situation that's like it's 50 50 or kind of close, how do you how do you determine what, what is your thought process? Well, my thought process always goes back to what's the evidence on both sides and which evidence is the most persuasive, you know. And that that's essentially what it comes down to. So you weigh it on the evidence as a, yeah. and, and, and how, not how it's presented or what the personalities are, but the actual right. guts of the, uh, I want people to understand that when they hear this, because attorneys and, and the law system sometimes gets a bad rap but i think uh i think everybody who's even even been remotely close to it understands there is uh, facts and then there's baloney <laughs> right and yeah, yeah you come down on the side of facts as as best you can as, as you're, you're out exactly there. right that's exactly right you know you really have to to look and examine the evidence and that's what we tell juries to do. That's what what we tell law students to do. And that's something that really I I basically learned at the academy, you know. Look at the facts. What does the what do the facts tell you? Even though we don't try to look at the science too much if we didn't do too good at double yeah. E. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> And Craig, I guess what what are you doing these days? Well, I'm retired. I retired from Westlands Water District in 2015, and mainly I do family history, um, both of my family and sometimes of other people's families, because I think it's really important to know where you came from and and. Uh, um, what you're made of, so to speak. Yeah. So I do a lot of uh, family history study. Have, have you discovered anything interesting about your family? Oh, scads. <laughs> <laughs> I had one of my my um, great-great-grandfathers was an escaped slave who fought for the Union. And that was interesting. Where was he? Where was he uh, enslaved? He was a slave in Missouri. Okay. And he in the Kansas City area, and he escaped and went to St. Louis and and joined the Union Army, and then his his unit was involved in the Battle of Nashville, and several other consequential battles. And that was an interesting fact to learn about him. Yeah, yeah. I I have weird Confederate history on my side, which uh, is kind of embarrassing. But uh, yeah, no, that's well. Cool. That's the other thing that that genealogy has taught me. One thing is that nobody is responsible for their 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 ancestors' lives, you know. And by the same token. You can't really claim the good parts of your ancestors' lives either, except to the extent you say, you know, that's the kind of DNA I have running through me. You know, people who are resilient, 
people who are willing to go the extra mile. You know, that's what I have in me. You, you're, you're allowed to say that, but you're not allowed to say, oh, he was a terrible person. So I'm so, I feel so bad because he was a terrible person. Well, my, my, my great, great uncle or whatever, however, how many greats goes back to was a West Point grad who was, uh, one of the least, uh, uh, generals under 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 Robert E. Lee, and he's kind of attributed with a couple other guys as losing the Battle of Gettysburg for for the South. So I go, well, in an inadvertent way, we help keep the country together. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. You know, I see pictures of this guy in history books. My wife freaks out. She goes, "Oh, he looks exactly like you." I go, oh, "Great, that's great." <laughs> Well, Craig, I, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. I, I, I think this is great. Now I'll, I'll call you up in just a minute. Okay, John. Thanks. Mm-hmm.